I love it when they come and do that. <laughs> just always makes me smile. Okay, I think first we're doing our memory verse. This is the verse that we've been learning the past few weeks, and today is challenge time. So we're going to say it maybe twice, and then some words are going to start disappearing. And I'm telling you, this works. Neil taught me this method for um, memorizing things where some of the words stay and some go away, and, and it really does work. So today's the day, people. We can do this. All right, so it's 1 Peter 2.9. Let's say it together. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, let's say it one more time. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay. Get ready. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Feeling good? All right. Did it do it? Are we ready? Okay. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're doing great. Okay, is there another one? Woo! Okay, ready? But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Pretty good? All right. I think we got it. It sounded loud and clear, so you're awesome. Okay, and then for our scripture reading today, it's going to be from Psalms 96. Um, this is such a unique time where we all get to read the scripture together, and so I really encourage you to find a Bible or get out your phone. Um, if you're looking in your Bible, it's on page 629, and then we can all read this together. I think that's a special thing to do um, and something we don't get to do very often. So while you're looking that up, I want to tell our guests about the Little Blue Connect card. It should be in the pew in front of you, right by the Bible. Um, and that's just a good way to talk to the pastor, talk to our church. If you have a question, you can fill that out. And also, you can put your information on there. We'd love to send you a little note just thanking you for coming. Okay, Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. We talked way back in like August about how we as a church want to go deeper and reach farther. We want to go deeper in our faith and just like a tree that puts down deeper roots gets healthier, we want to get healthier. And just like a tree that puts down deeper roots, we also want our branches then to reach farther. That's just a natural outflowing of going deeper. And so this series goes along with that in the sense that we've talked the last two weeks about going deeper in our worship. That we should worship as though we just have an audience of one. That, uh, that when we, uh, in particular, when we come together to worship, that we're not coming together to be an audience and listen to music, but to pour out our worship for an audience of one. That in fact, the, the worship team that's up here are really just, we might call them prompters, to prompt our worship, and that we, together as the church, are the performers of worship, and He is the audience of one. And, and our worship is for Him, and if we want to worship like we mean it, then we need to worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that God doesn't just want us to worship on the inside, but for that to be manifested on the outside. That God doesn't only see your heart, He sees your exterior too. And so He wants us to worship Him with everything that we've got, with the full range of emotions that we've talked about how we're not trying to manufacture anything in our worship time together, but that it ought to be authentically human. And that if we're actually experiencing what we say we're experiencing and believing what we say we're believing, that there should sometimes be an excitedness about us or, a, or even a sadness or a, just a full range of emotions that will present themselves at appropriate times as we feel them. And this is what it means to be human and we do this in the rest of our lives. Uh, and so it should be in our worship as well. In particular, we've looked at a verse that we just, just memorized like that. Y'all are amazing. Um, that we're a chosen people in order to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. And as I looked at commentary about that verse, one thing that stood out is that people were, scholars were consistent in saying that this idea of declaring the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light wasn't just something we do in a closet. This was a public declaration, publicly declaring to the world around us as God's chosen people that we're praising Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. A public declaration. And we're going to talk about that today. Why does that matter? How is it that our worship, if we worship like we mean it, that it might also have the effect of making others who aren't yet worshipers of God want what we have? There's, um, when I was in college, I fell in love with watching sports. Now, I didn't watch a whole lot of sports when I was growing up. Partly because in that day and age, the selection was limited. 
I lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's like all we ever got to see was the cowboys. And as you can imagine, I mean, who wants to watch that? <laughs> Sorry, Quint, if you're listening. There <laughs> wasn't a whole lot of great sporting TV. I, I was a Saints fan in Las Cruces, New Mexico. They never came on TV. There was no package you could buy to get them to come on TV. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and even if there was, my parents wouldn't have bought it. So I was also an LSU Tiger fan. And LSU never came on TV in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So anyway, we didn't watch a ton of sports. And, but when I went to college, started hanging out with these sporty guys that were all into sports. And it was just kind of contagious. And pretty soon, I was, if there was a sport on TV, we were watching it. It didn't matter what it was, hardly. I mean, we were like serious about sports. And then uh, I met Julie. And she came from a family who was like even less into watching sports than I was. Like even her dad was not into it. And there was just no... Sports never came on the TV. So uh, imagine, after we had only been dating about a month, when March Madness comes. And I have an expectation, like you put your life on hold and you watch every game. And, and so she could not figure out why I was watching the TV instead of watching her. <laughs> and that's when we knew that there was going to have to be some uh, cultural adjustments. And I'll let you guess who adjusted more. <laughs> I don't watch as much March Madness as I used to. And for the last 10 years of our marriage, I've watched a lot less sports than I watched when I was in college. And, however, I have hope. I have hope because I have two kids. And they're coming up. And Hadley loves to get on her uh, LSU cheerleader outfit and her pom-poms and cheer for every touchdown with me. And this last football season, uh, Peter tuned in for the first time and actually cared, paid attention to what was going on, and he said, Mama, that man hiked ball under his body. <laughs> he didn't say hike, he said throw the ball. That man throw ball under his body. <laughs> he, was, he was mesmerized by that. And, uh, and then he was quite concerned when his, his man fell down. <laughs> but then he got back up. So anyway, he was, I have hope. That, uh, that as our kids grow up, that they'll catch on to it too. And my point with this is that sports is one of those things that is kind of contagious. Like if you grew up in a world where no one ever watched sports, it's unlikely that you of your own accord would just find it when you were flipping through the stations one day and be like, this is amazing. I'm just going to watch golf. <laughs> or I'm just going to watch these guys stand around and... You know, every now and then they do something. It, it, it wouldn't happen. It's like a community thing, right? And, and like you grew up watching your dad get all into it and yell at the TV and throw things. And so then it was like, yes, this is exciting. And so then you got into it. Or, or maybe it was like you, a, a group of friends or when you were in college or high school or whatever that were into it. Or maybe you played a sport. And then whatever the case is, somehow you caught it. And you were excited about it because someone else was excited about it. And if you found yourself in an environment where no one was excited about it, then pretty soon that would begin to fade a little bit and you wouldn't be quite as excited about it as you were. This is, I mean, I'm talking about sports, but this happens in a lot of areas of our life. And it also happens with our worship with God. It's a community thing. 
We talked about last week how the importance of us coming together and, and hopefully coming together closer to, to each other and, and of actually taking that step forward of being more expressive in our worship, not just so God, for God, our audience of one, but also so that each other would feel it and be edified by it and that our faith would feel more real because we're coming together with other believers and expressing together how we feel about God, what we believe. So we challenged ourselves in that. But the truth is, too, that when we worship like we mean it, it'll be contagious. Have you ever thought about what the average person that comes to church here who doesn't believe yet, isn't sure where they stand with God, is maybe trying to figure out life, because they do come. Sometimes we just assume that everyone that walks through our doors is a Christian, but it's not the case. And sometimes even people who you know and think that, well, of course they're a Christian, they may still be working stuff out too. And have you ever given thought to what our worship time together communicates to people who come and sit in our midst? I want to take a few minutes and look at this Psalm 96. It's a, it's a song, an ancient song. There's a, a book in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament part of your scripture, which means it happened before Jesus, and it was written before Jesus. Many of the Psalms are attributed to King David, famous king. Uh, some of them are written by other people. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like a hymnal, a scriptural hymnal. It's, it's the people of Israel's hymnal, in a sense. And it was full of these psalms, these songs. And we don't know what the melodies were. Some of them will say, you know, to the tune of, but we've lost the tune over the thousands of years. But we have these ancient songs. Most of them, they don't rhyme anymore because we had to translate them out of Hebrew into English. So the, the meter and the rhyming is somewhat lost, and yet the imagery... And the beauty of it is still very much retained. And we have these songs that we understand what they were singing about. Sing to the Lord a new song. Just, just for fun, I want to point out that I've yet to find the verse that says, Sing to the Lord an old song. Although I'm assuming that because they're saying, Sing to the Lord a new song, they were also singing old songs. <laughs> but we should note that... Uh, I've never also seen anything that says the Lord makes all things old. But he makes all things new. And there's something to be said about, uh, and I think the point of this would be, that our faith and our worship, no matter what song we're singing, should be something fresh and real from our lives today. That if we can't worship out of the place of experiencing what God is doing in our lives now, and we're only pulling from something that he did in someone's lives long ago, or in our life long ago, and it's something stale, right? No, it needs to be something fresh. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. And watch this. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. This is a, a great psalm for this theme that we're on today, but I don't want you to think that this is an isolated instance. 
this theme that God cares about all the nations knowing the truth is, is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we think that the Old Testament is only about God's relationship to Israel and that he really didn't care about the rest of the peoples of the earth until Jesus showed up. But that's just not the case. And in fact, why he called Israel was to declare his praises in front of the nations so that the nations then might know the truth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds amongst all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So here we have the reason why. The reason why we are to worship God and not only to worship God in our hearts and not only to worship God in our time together, but to publicly declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. To publicly declare his praises in front of the nations because all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Worship is about reality. Worship is about truth. It's about giving credit where credit is actually due. It's about praising who actually deserves praise. Israel's role as God's chosen people was to declare in the face of a world that worshipped everything under the sun, including the sun. In that culture to say, no, all those gods are just idols. There is one true God who made all of the heavens and the earth. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. He alone is worthy of our praise. It was a statement of reality. A calling of the peoples to the truth. Then he goes, the psalm says, goes through this series of ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. This is an invitation to the nations. An invitation to Israel first and foremost to do their job and, and to do it in front of the nations so that the nations then might ascribe glory to the, God, to the God who deserves it. It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And he goes on to talk about the Lord coming to judge. And it's so interesting. We've talked about this before. How we hear that statement of the Lord is coming to judge. And it's like, hmm, time for fire and brimstone. Time for guilt trips. Time for you to be scared out of your wits. And when we share this with the nations, that's how we view sharing it. God's coming to judge. Get your act together. Whereas the, the tone of Scripture, it's, a, it's part of the celebration. It's part of what they're excited for. And what they're excited about is that He will come to judge in His justice, in His faithfulness, in His love, in His mercy. He will come and set things right in this broken world. It, the assumption is that the person hearing this is dealing with some stuff 
that they've got pain and suffering and they sense very much the injustice of the world and how things are not right in the world. And the hope is that there is a God in heaven who will come and set things right. And we worship Him. It's a different tone. Authentic public worship will make the truth attractive. And this psalm was encouraging Israel. Israel 1.0 is what I call them because they were the first. And then the church came along. Israel 2.0. With the same kind of role that Israel 1.0 had, but failed in. And where they failed, we succeed not because we're great or because we've made progress, but because of Jesus Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection and His Holy Spirit at work in us. That we come together and authentically and publicly worship our God. And if we do that in a certain way, it will, it will make the truth attractive. If we do that authentically, not just on the inside, but with our expression of worship together, it will make the truth attractive. When someone visits our church and they witness what appears to them as lazy or half-hearted worship, why would they want to come back? Or any church? If they show up and they see this. <laughs> it's a worship ministry joke from a while back. When I was a worship pastor, we would joke that sometimes we felt like we were trying to lead those guys <laughs> in worship. Like we look out and that's what we see looking back at us like, mm. <laughs> Y'all don't look like that though. That was another church. If folks come and they look around and they see that, how excited are they going to be? How contagious is that? How much does that say, we know what's true, and we're excited about it? We're worshiping the one true God. We're declaring His praises. How does a church communicate enthusiasm in our culture? We've talked about that a little bit, but I think it's worth you exploring personally in your life. If you were to express your praise naturally to God, what would that look like? And chances are, any outward expression of your praise to God is going to feel unnatural for many of us that grew up in a church culture where that wasn't allowed or wasn't done, right? We just didn't express our worship. And yet, when we're confronted with the fact from Scripture that we are supposed to express our worship then we need to start thinking about how can we express our, express our worship in a way that would be genuine for us. And people in our culture, some of them clap, some of them sing, some of them shout, some of them do raise hands. Whatever those... I, I don't have those down. I need to watch that video a few more times. So There's different ways people do it, but one thing's for sure. If we all sit 
here and say, if someone else does it, then I'll do it, then none of us are ever going to do it. But someone needs to be willing to lead and say, I will express my worship. Not in a, I'm going to run around the sanctuary and holler sort of way. <laughs> but in a simple, authentic expression of our worship to God. So that we together can declare publicly the praise that our God deserves. And in authentically expressing it, make the truth attractive to those who are seeking the truth. If this is an area that uh, you need to grow in, I, I want to encourage you to work on it, not just on Sunday mornings, but through the week. Because if we just work on it on Sunday mornings, I'm afraid that our enthusiasm level will be dependent on things like which song we're singing, or whether the slides are changing at the right time, or whether the guy playing the chords on the guitar is playing the right chords, which doesn't always happen, or whether the singers are doing a good job, or whether the sound system has feedback. But if our enthusiasm flows out of the health of our relationship to the one true God, then we'll be able to offer heartfelt worship no matter who we're worshiping with, no matter where we're worshiping, no matter what song they're singing or not singing, no matter what scripture passage they're reading, no matter who's offering the prayer or how eloquent they are, we'll be able to offer heartfelt worship because our worship is dependent on our authentic relationship of praise with the one that we know on Sunday and outside of Sunday. So let me just offer you a few practical ways. And, and maybe uh, in that section on your note card that says notes, uh, jot down one or two of these if you think that maybe it's something you could benefit from in your life. One would be to carve out some time for solitude and silence with God. To get alone with God without the distractions that tend to occupy the time that we would have that would be silent or alone. Turn off the TV. Turn off the device. Be quiet. Put your phone on silent. Turn it off. You can always return those calls later. You can always return those texts later. Be quiet. Be still before the Lord. Maybe that's something you need in your life. Maybe you need to just practice praising God in prayer. Maybe your prayer life mostly consists of praying for needs that you feel or needs that you know about from other people and that part of your prayer life that is praising God is more or less absent or just kind of a passing sentence that you kind of say out of a formality but maybe try spending five minutes five minutes a day this week praying prayers of praise to God 
Here's another suggestion. Work this into your prayer life this week. Confession. Confess your need for God. Confess the areas of your life where you, in particular, need His power because you're so weak. If you can't think of one of those, ask Him to search your heart and show you. And in confession, we find humility and we find a greater appreciation for our need for God, our need to rely on Him, and out of that flows appreciation and praise. Last suggestion. It's just to ask God. Ask Him to rekindle or to kindle for the first time a passion in your heart for Him. A deep love for your Savior. To revive within you something that longs to worship Him. That looks forward to the opportunity to come together with God's people and declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Ask Him to. Ask His Holy Spirit to. The helper that He has sent. If our worship ebbs and flows, that would be normal. If there's some days where we just really feel it when we come together and some days where we don't, that's normal human emotion and expression. But if our worship mostly ebbs and seldom flows, (laughs) then we may have a problem. If it's mostly ho-hum and occasionally passionate, then we may need to work on it. There's a story contained in the Gospel accounts of when Jesus, it's after he had risen Lazarus from the dead and there were all these rumorings about all the great things that he was doing and, and how this might be the one, the king, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for, the one promised in Scripture, the one the prophet said would come and herald a new day. And there's all this excitement buzzing and, and Jesus stirred it up by riding into town, into Jerusalem, at a great festival when there were many crowds there, and he rode in on the colt of a donkey, just as the prophet had said the Messiah would come. And as he came, the people worshipped. They waved palm branches to celebrate. They threw their coats in the ground for his donkey, his colt of a donkey, to, to walk upon. This king, this coming king, Hosanna to the son of David, a term for the Messiah, the coming king. They worshipped him. They declared his praise. Not everyone was happy. Right? If you know the account, there was a group of religious leaders who didn't like one bit what he was doing, thought it was blasphemous that the people were saying such things. They were very concerned. And in fact, had been plotting to kill him ever since 
He had raised Lazarus from the dead and killed Lazarus too. Maybe even from before that. And they told him, tell these people to be quiet. Don't you hear what they're saying? In other words, this is blasphemy. This is a lie. Tell your followers to stop lying about who you are. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, the very rocks would cry out. That in that moment, that was his moment to be recognized for who he was before he'd be betrayed and turned over to be killed. And in that moment, he would receive that praise. Whether it was from the people who were standing there or their kids who the next day were praising him with the same words in the temple and again the religious leaders saying, tell these children to be quiet. Jesus said, no. If they were to be quiet, even the rocks would cry out. That's the wrong... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the right... Okay. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Psalm 96, like we said, was written to Israel 1.0 before Jesus ever showed up. They were a chosen people set aside for a specific role to declare the praises of him who had called them. Who had called them from a nothing nation. From non-existence into existence. And raised for himself up a people who would declare his praises before the nations so that the world might know who the true God is. In the New Testament, we hear from the apostles that now the God's chosen people are those who put their faith in Jesus and follow after him, who take on his way of life as disciples. And that we are, in that sense, Israel 2.0, that we are a chosen people so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I would encourage you today that we should be a people who prevent the rocks from ever needing to get involved. Far be it from us to fail in our expression of worship so that someone else has to do it or something else has to do it. Let's be the people who authentically and publicly make the truth attractive through our expression of worship. Would you close your eyes and pray with me today? Father, thank you for saving us. For the faithful men and women of God who publicly displayed their faith and their worship in a way that was contagious enough for us to catch it. 
For some of us, that might have been a grandparent or a parent or someone else. We give you thanks for them. And Lord, we know that our level of enthusiasm sometimes doesn't match up to the level of which you've blessed us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd rekindle, and revive, and stir our hearts that the world might come to know the truth by seeing it written all over us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.